poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today in this Villager episode, I am joined by Chris Jenkins. Chris is 38 years old, married with three daughters. He's been playing in competitive atmospheres for most of his life. Uh, four years of D3 basketball, one year of football out of shit. Shenandoah University, um, been playing cards for a long time, member of the village for well over a year at this point. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the time seems to blend together, especially over this past couple of years. Chris, welcome to the program, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks, Brad. Uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. Excited to have you. Um, and I'll, as we normally do on this show, let's start out with your journey, not just through you know, the world of poker, but journey through life, um, trying to learn the type of human being that you are and what led, and then what led you to the world of poker? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I guess, you know, I'd start just by, uh, you know, born and raised from the DC area, Northern Virginia. And, um, you know, growing up, played sports my entire life. You know, I can remember when I was three years old playing uh, soccer, so um, always been heavily involved in a competitive sport, I guess you could say, whether it's football, basketball, baseball. But part of that competitive likeness definitely translate over to playing cards. You know, so I do remember growing up playing video games, board games. Um, my grandmother was a gym roaming player. You know, I remember she would play bridge once once a week. Uh, I remember playing hearts growing up and always had a, um, a fascination in trying to just beat the players by using, you know, game theory, you know, whether it was just simple stuff like war or, uh, you know, playing hearts. And then, um, you know, definitely kind of evolved into playing high school and college sports. So um, definitely didn't really feel um, a connection to playing poker until I got, uh, until I graduated high school. And never really was exposed to the game of poker, but that was kind of the first time I ever played was after I graduated high school. Yeah, you and I are pretty much the same age. So, you know, when we were in high school, I guess poker wasn't the thing that it is today. Uh, it was on my radar, but kind of a little lucky. It was before the moneymaker boom. Um, we're talking, you know, around 2001. Yeah, time, it's time when I graduated high school, it was 2001. Yeah, yeah, 2001. Um, tell me about that competitive nature and wanting to win at things and then the strategic side. How does that manifest 
outside of competition? Like, how do you think about, you know, sports, hearts, war, rummy, these things, like when you're not playing the games? Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, I guess just instinctually, I just always wanted to win. Um, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily call myself like an emotional player. Like, I wouldn't bitch and complain if I didn't win, but it would definitely bother me. And I, I just, I, I was, um, I guess I was, I got energy, was powered from, from, from competition, you know? So I think naturally I was able to, uh, you know, assimilate in playing sports, I always kind of picked it up pretty quick, but just the, uh, you know, I guess just the pursuit of winning was always something that I enjoyed, you know, the pursuit of trying to, to beat somebody who's trying to do the same thing. That just provided a lot of, um, you know, I guess a lot of, uh, enthusiasm and and just uh, always attracted to to games or or engagements that where I could just challenge myself I guess you could say and figure out ways you could get better whether it's technique fundamentals sometimes it was just you know the philosophy behind what you're trying to do but just something I've always kind of been attracted to what does it look like when you fall short right like when you lose a competition uh, the moments after, the days after, what are you prioritizing? What are you thinking about? Uh, it's funny because, like, I've always found that I don't really lose – I don't take losses very hard. And what I mean by that is, like, I kind of can compartmentalize losses, and I don't really dwell on them too much, which I think has actually helped me in gambling and just playing cards. Like, if I, if I lose a big hand, I mean, I'll dwell on, like, most people, but – the next day I kind of forget about it. And I, I and I kind of just, I've always gone back to, I guess the fundamentals. I think that's what sports has helped me in terms of overcoming loss. You know, if you lose in, in basketball, or I'd say you have a bad game, a uh, bad shooting game, you gotta go back into the gym and put up, you know, 500 jump shots the next day to, to work on whatever that imbalance was. So it's kind of like going back to the things that made you successful whether that's whether that's in cards, sports, or really life, but I think that's what I kind of use whenever I face adversity or you know failure. Yeah, I think you know that that's a greatness bomb. Going back to the fundamentals, I, I think that too often we get wrapped up in in poker specifically in zones or nodes areas that are more rare. We spend a lot of cognitive energy in on spots that will likely just never happen again in your, the rest of your entire life where there's not a ton to learn. But the reality is that if you look at pretty much any competitive game, there are fundamental aspects that you need to be good at um, that will deliver long-term success. Um, like you said, basketball, just shooting, passing, dribbling, like a lot of shooting, a lot of shooting. Um, and in poker, it's a lot of like pre-flop stuff. It's a lot of c-betting. It's a lot of just early decision tree things that happen very, very, very often that you need to stay sharp. Um, and you have to understand that that's where a lot of your edge is coming from. Yeah. Um, Repetition, right? I mean, repeti- to be to repeat something over and over is not easy. And I think that's something that's always kind of uh, overshadowed, you know, how simple a task is, but how hard, how hard it is to do that task consistently and with discipline. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's something I always try to do whenever I'm in a rut or like you said, what I do to overcome failures. Yeah, and, 
you know, the, what makes poker so interesting, you know, this is like uh, one of the values of the Wolf program that I have going right now is discipline. Um, in poker, you know, in basketball, the feedback mechanism is pretty pure, right? You know whether or not your jumper went in. <laughs> it's pretty clear that your jumper either goes in or doesn't go in. Uh, in poker, you can take a perfect shot and it just you just airball it right and you don't have to change anything everything that you did was absolutely correct and you should continue doing it moving forward um it's just the feedback mechanisms distorted and that's just a thing that you know I, i'm trying to uh beat into my wolves brains is like just keep doing the things that make money um and put the rest out of your head because like in poker, you don't always get immediate feedback that what you did was either good or bad or whatever. Um, just keep taking good shots over and over and over again. Eventually, it works out. Um, but anyway, that's just a yeah. Poker is just weird in that sense that like you can you do all the right things and it, and it just doesn't matter. Um, yeah, and it, well, and with poker too, you can do all the right things over a period of time and nothing goes your way, and that's when it's just tough to stay mentally focused because you feel like, you know, the decks are after you, you know, you got that bad mojo going. I'm superstitious too. Right. So I'll do certain things like, uh, you know, change my shirt or take my hat off. And, you know, especially before I got into, uh, this, the CPG community, I was one of those poker players. I'm like, I just don't run good. I'm not, I'm, I'm just not one of those lucky players. And, um, I think that's one of the things that I really appreciated working with you and the courses in the, in the CPG community is just understanding that variance is a real thing. And, you know, depending on your sample size, you know, sometimes things don't go your way, but over time, if you're making the right positive EV decision, you know, you're going to, you'll, you'll make money off those decisions in the long run. Yeah. That, that's the other side of the coin, right? Like not only can you do all the right things and it go poorly, you can do all the wrong things and it go well for a period of time too, which is just disorienting. Tell me about being superstitious. I didn't know this about you. Uh, where, where does that come from? Um, you know what's funny is, is actually it came from uh, middle school, high school. It actually came up until I played college sports and not really knowing what, um, talking about fundamentals, like not really knowing what, like I guess you should call it smart work, what, what, what it was to work smart, right? Whether it was working on your craft daily, um, putting in the effort, putting in the practice to, to, to become competent and master your skill set. I think growing up, because I was naturally gifted in athletics, I didn't necessarily always have to practice as hard to be good. And then we never had a bad game or so forth. I wasn't relying, going back to working on the technique and the fundamentals, it was more like, oh man, you know, I, uh, tied my shoe on the wrong day, the wrong, <laughs> wrong way that day, or, you know, I got to put my, uh, put on a different shirt. So I was relying on things that I guess I would, I would, I would take failure and, and put it on things I couldn't control. And that's where the, su the superstition came from. And then I guess growing up, you realize that you just have to put in the effort to, to, be, to get better at your craft. And when things don't go your way, um, or when you more so when you face adversity, that's when you have to fall back on the, the fundamentals you've been working on. When I didn't necessarily have that foundation, I was using, you know, superstition as an excuse. And when did, when did you learn that lesson about superstition? Um, I'm assuming that, you know, 
college ball is probably a lot different than high school ball. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely an adjustment. I mean, the speed of the game. You know, I played D3, which obviously is not at the same level as D, D1. Um, but what I've noticed, like, the skill set is the same. It's just the size and, and strength of, of, the, of, the, of the league's different. But when I came in as a freshman, I didn't play. Um, and I just wasn't, you know, the difference is, like, when you're recruited, the coaches are always your best friend and telling you how great you are, this and that. When you're on the team, you know, if you're not playing, you don't get a lot of communication with the head coach a lot of times. You know, it's very, um, it's always kind of going through the assistant coaches. So there's just a level of, um, you know, not feeling the same way you did before and, and not feeling appreciated and wanted. But you got to earn your, you got to earn your key. And that's really the difference from being a kid in high school to, to college becoming an adult. You had to really, um, you know, you had to kind of take your lumps. In order, in, in order to improve, you had to work at it, you know. So I started going to the gym early before practice, staying after practice, working on, you know, my skills, the jump shot. And then over time, which took a couple months, then you start to see, you know, your, your skill set become better. And then the coaches start to trust you a little more, and then you start to earn some playing time. But So where did that desire to show up early before practice come from? Was it just you wanted to play like you knew that if you if you didn't do that you probably weren't going to play as much as you wanted to so you had a lot of incentive to show up early i would say that it came from just like i think one thing i've learned by myself i'm just highly highly determined i just don't i don't necessarily even i can't even picture myself failing at, at something um which is funny the struggle with poker throughout my uh you know, throughout playing, that's that's probably the one poker and golf, are the two things that I have had. You know, I have struggled and have failed and have had challenges figuring out how to become better. But um, I think it was just I, I just didn't want to be that guy not playing, right? So I was just determined to, to become successful, and I just kind of knew that I had to do something different, and I had to do something that um, I had to work harder than the other people on the team to put myself in the position to play. And I think that's kind of where it came from. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so you graduate college and where did you find poker? Like at what point in your life did you discover poker? Yeah. So it's funny because I, um, I worked in high school, I worked at a, uh, a golf course. First time I ever played poker was the summer after graduating high school and I was working a job, I was working in the food and beverage department of a uh, private golf club. Um, and it's, I got lucky, a neighbor of mine, their, their, um, their daughter referred me into this golf club, but it's, it's a, it's a Robertson Jones golf club, which is in Lake Manassas, Virginia. It's definitely a prestigious golf course. They've held a few PGA events there. And like, just for, for context, like when Michael Jordan was the, um, president of the Washington Wizards. He was a member at Robertson Jones Golf Club. So it's one of those, uh, one of those type clubs. I was working in as basically a, a waiter in the, in, the, in the restaurants and you got paid good money. So this is back in like 99, 2000, no, this is in 2001. I remember I was making $11 an hour as a, as a kid going into college. So at that time, there was a lot of, a lot of good money. Plus tips. So you didn't get tips. Tips were not allowed, but every once wow. in a while they'd have these bigger parties. And so when you did get tipped, like you're getting, you know, you're getting a C note every once in a while, right? So 
it was like the end of the summer and they're having this huge member party and their members are getting drunk and so forth and they're getting generous or they're giving us tips. I think all of us had maybe two to three hundred dollars in tips. So there's maybe five or six of us. And someone said, you guys want to play poker after at the end of the night? I didn't know how to play. Right. So I'm getting a like crash course on what beats what. And I remember the game lasted 10 minutes, <laughs> not knowing how to play, but I got dealt aces two times in a row. So the first hand, I remember I won a decent pot, like 300 bucks. I couldn't believe it. And then the second, the second hand, immediately after that, this older guy was a bartender, tried to bluff me off aces after the flop. I, I remember that. And before I know it, there's like another $500 in the pot. I take it down. So I got like $800 in front of me, which is the most cash I've ever had, probably seen in my life. And um, that was my first experience playing poker. And I just love the thrill of the game from, you know, taking um, the concept of, you know, you can, you can bluff people, you can represent hands you don't have. And before that, like my knowledge of poker was like from, you know, watching the old Western movies when you had, uh, you know, the, the guy who was putting all his chips in the middle to, to, to win the pot because he had more money than the other guys. So I really yeah. had no... No concept. I, <laughs> I can buy this pot because I have more money than you. Yeah. Um, one of the yeah. dumbest Hollywood uh, things that I think has ever happened is like, oh, there's 5K in the pot and I've got 20K behind and you can't cover it. So I can just put my 20K in and just yeah. win automatically. Like, why <laughs> yeah. wouldn't you just do that every hand? I don't understand. Like, you just right. buy in for all the money and just go all in every hand and you just are, are going to print. fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do one man coach brad wilson has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds nuffle available now go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle rated r 100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize CP against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent money makers built into my strategy. That sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. <laughs> Nuffle. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash courses. After that uh, event at the golf course, playing cards, what was your next um, taste of, of playing poker? And when did you take, start taking it more serious, I guess? Yeah, so the next taste, um, so now I'm in college and, you know, freshman, you're playing small home games, you know, five, ten dollars here or there. And then I think the next summer, so, you know, still don't know what the hell I'm doing, but just having fun hanging out um, in, in school. 
playing cards. But then I bought Super Systems, read that, which kind of gave me, I wouldn't say a way of play, but at least I did. I had somewhat idea of what, uh, you know, two pair meant compared to a full house. Um, so I read Super Systems and then I kind of played some more home games the next couple of years, but then the moneymaker, um, you know, event happened and then all of a sudden poker was everywhere. So I started playing online poker and I really didn't start taking it serious until I bought the, um, I started buying a couple books, right? I, started, I remember I bought some books from Mike Cairo on, on poker tells and poker. Um, but then I remember I bought the Harrington book on poker. Um, and that definitely, I remember I read that book and I, I felt confident because I had some sort of a framework that I could use to attack the game. And I think that's something I was always thriving for was just, you know, how can I get better at the game? And I was always, um, you know, attracted to exploitive poker. So it just kind of gave me a, a small tool, I guess you could say. And so, uh, you know, playing online my junior year and senior year. Um, and then I graduated. And I, when I graduated, I actually was still working part time at that golf course. Um, but before I actually went to go get a real, uh, uh, um, excuse me, adult job coming out of college, I would, um, you know, play twenty dollars sit and goes. And then a year after I graduated, still working part time, I had just started working full time for Brings Home Security. So I was like, "Got to stop at your house when you wanted to uh, buy a security system, and I put you on price." Um, and I did that for a couple of months, but during that during that time frame, I played in a I guess you call it a decently sized home tournament game. It was 50 people. It was $100, $100 buy-in. And I ended up taking that tournament down. And I remember it was a, a score of like $2,500 or something. <clears throat> and then um, I hated my job at Brinks. And I was like, I think I'm going to go play poker for, professionally or, you know, pay my bills playing poker. I wouldn't say poker professionally. So I quit my job at Brinks. And at the time I had, I lived with uh, four roommates, so it's not like rent was that expensive. So I just stayed at home and played uh, sit and goes all day and then MTTs at night. And I did that for about seven, eight months, I guess you could say. And um, I remember one, it was one of the greatest times of my life. I didn't have any responsibilities except for paying my rent, my phone bill and a small, you know, small college loan. Um, and it, it was, I realized how much I love playing poker. You know, it was, I think it helped fuel me because I was no longer playing competitive sports. So it gave you that, that battlefield, you know, to, to, to fire those juices. And, um, and yeah, I just remember that for like five months there, I was uh, like playing every single day. And then I live, I live in Northern Virginia. So Atlantic city was four hours away. So I drive to, you know, the Tropicana or the, uh, Bergata and played cash games there on uh, weekends. And so I did that for about seven, eight months. And then I made the, you know, I had the, not, not that I was a good player, but then I just started to take more shots. And the bankroll I had, which was running bankroll, maybe uh, $2,000, started to dwindle down. And I remember I basically was carrying enough to pay my rent uh, for about a month. And then I lost it all, went broke. And then I, um, I remember I had to ask my roommate to, to cover me for the rent check. And then that's when I went to go get a job. And, um, 
you know, I wouldn't say I walked away from poker, but that, that left a bad taste in my mouth. So it kind of, kind of soured me from playing for a couple of years. Yeah. Didn't feel good. Didn't feel good. And I think what really, I think what, it wasn't to say that I, I lost because again, I, I, it's not, I can accept losing. I think it's just, I just didn't know how to get better. And yeah. then I started to basically use the excuse that I'm just, I'm just unlucky. Like every time I went broke, I just remember like maybe I was waiting for, you know, a nutted hand to start and then, you know, someone beat me with some sort of awesome combination. And I was like, ah, I'm so lucky. Or, I'm so unlucky. That's why I can't play this game. And um, I remember I was kind of going through that process mentally. And um, yeah, Look just, right. looking back on it, what do you think the reality was given the benefit of, you know, knowing what you know now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the reality is I wasn't very good, but I also didn't have a, um, I didn't have any, I didn't have a community that I could help, that could help um, guide me and, and get positive feedback on how to play the game of poker. Like I remember, I was, I was thinking about this after getting involved with CPG after, you know, so long, um, I was like, this is what I was really missing back in the early 2000s when I was playing poker. Cause I love the game so much and, and, and I would always have these like when I like like dreams and, and premonitions of, uh, you know, being a professional poker player. And, you know, at that time you had the, um, you know, you had the cash game show on and like, you know, you dream of playing in that game one day and kind of just always had that passion. But I never had the fundamentals to build off of to, to, to improve and get better. And I remember coming across two plus two. Back, back during those days, but I just remember that it was just, I guess, information overload, and I inquisitive, inquisitively didn't invest in, and ask the right questions, and so I kind of glossed over that website and didn't have anyone to really feed off of except for myself. So part of that was not having a uh, community of people who wanted to get better at the game and play the game, and, and so I think it just, the fire in me just kind of fizzled out. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough being a lone wolf in your poker journey and having to kind of figure things out by yourself. Um, and back then, you're right, like two plus two, two plus two is probably the major resource, right? And for me, two plus two just it didn't resonate with me. I'm not a message board person. I, for for whatever reason, I'm not constructed to just be a big participant in message boards. I, I just I know that about myself. Um, and like the Slack group or discords, I do tend to be more active, like in, um, sort of like live conversation type things than, than the message boards, but yeah, it, it's tough. And there was a lot of information and I think there is a lot of information today. And it's another thing, it's another easy trap to fall into is that you just don't know where to start and you don't know what information to prioritize. Even when you have an abundance of available resources, it's kind of like, how do I know what to value more than something else so that this actually helps my poker game? Uh, so I, I think that like the problems that you experienced in the mid two thousands, even though there are more resources today, there's still problems that, human beings encounter in the world of poker where it's just like, I don't know where to get started. I don't know how to prioritize anything and I don't know where to get good feedback from. I think it's even this during this, these times, it's even worse because there are so many avenues in terms of poker theory, 
you have all these videos on YouTube, you know, you just don't know even where to start. Um, and and it, it's, it's information overload. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I really appreciated with, with Chasing Poker Greatness is you have a community that helps you and guides you on where you should start or what you should be working on or just feedback in terms of what you're trying to accomplish within the game of poker. You know, and I think that's, that's powerful. Yeah, it's something that I invested a lot of energy into with sequencing. How do I sequence these products in a way that makes sense logistically? Like, where yeah. do we start, right? That was sort of the genesis of preflop bootcamp was like, okay, well, every hand starts preflop. And even with bootcamp, I think, you know, there could be uh, courses that lead up to bootcamp just in... Um, general understanding of of poker, right? Just sort of like a deep dive into the basics and fundamentals of the rules and sort of like what's going on and all those those sorts of things. I think that's, you know, an area that that could be covered eventually within, you know, the CBG products, like the pre pre preflop stuff um that I think is is valuable as well because yeah, even even bootcamp is too advanced for um some players, you know, yeah. some some newer players to the game. And it's hard. The the reality is the game is so big that it's really, really difficult to sequence things in a way that just help anybody, right? From beginning to take the next step, to take the next step, to take the next step. It's a very difficult challenge that I'm not sure um, really anybody has kind of cracked just yet. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because it's like, even when you feel good about a certain area of your poker game, it can change, right? It's not, it's not an indefinite skill set because, you know, sometimes you have a different player pool or you have different aspects of the game that you have to adjust to. And I think that's what's really attractive to poker too, because it's not a static game whatsoever. You're always having to refocus and think through different scenarios and you can have the same set of cards, but have to make different decisions based on the, the game itself. Yeah, based on game configuration, population tendencies, just all sorts of things that can change lightning fast. Um, and yeah, it's tough to stay on top of it. But again, it's a thing that makes the game really fun, really challenging, um, and just sort of uh, an endeavor that an endeavor that sates those competitive juices for folks who just kind of love competition, like you know, like yourself and like myself as well. I, I really enjoy. Just competing in pretty much anything is just fun for me. Yeah, yeah. It, it fuels it fuels you, right? I mean, most most competitive people probably feel the same way. It's just like when you're not doing anything that pushes those type of juices. It's like you just feel, um, you know, I wouldn't use the word depressed, but you just you don't have the same level of energy in life, and, and it doesn't challenge you the way that competition does. Yeah, there's a feeling that you get when you're on the field and the ref's about to blow the whistle, right? Like you feel alive, you have high energy, you're like on red alert and you're just very much present and in the moment. And that's a thing that outside of competition can be hard to simulate. Um, and poker is a great outlet. Yeah. It's um, funny. Well, I think it was Phil Ivey in this article this past year where he said he really likes losing. Or some some something like that, and I, that actually was—it's funny because I think in competition, like you do in a way like losing, but not like you enjoy it. But it's kind of like 
what you do after you lose is what invigorates you and brings that, you know, that joy to you as far as uh, overcoming that, that level of failure. Yeah, it's fuel. It's fuel right. to learn, grow, improve, and try to do better um, the next time. Fuel to reflect. And yeah, th there is a lot of benefit into losing um, from a competitive standpoint, for sure. Uh, so after, you know, you went broke and you went back out into the real world, you didn't play poker for a few years. What did your life, um, shift to in that time? Um, yeah, so I, I ended up playing, uh, I guess you call it high recreational basketball and, and flag football from a competition standpoint. So that's where I scratched that itch. Um, but I, I didn't play any cards. I might have played. So I think I stopped playing around the 2006, 2007 timeframe. And it wasn't until like 10 years later that I actually started to want to play again. I might have played half a dozen, you know, games, uh, home games, and maybe like one, one time at a casino. Um, but I, during that timeframe, I, you know, I was working. You know, I had a career, started making enough money to be, you know, more financially comfortable. So um was definitely taking trips to Vegas, you know, uh when I was single. That was uh going there four or five times a year. That was that was kind of my outlet, I guess you could say. But I was playing, I'd go there play roulette, blackjack, craps. I I did not play much poker. Um so I think a part of it is like when in the early two thousands, the mid two thousands, like I really was dead set on making a living playing poker. And when that didn't happen, I, I guess I just didn't want to open up that wound again. And so I, I was kind of just, you know, I kind of shut that chapter and just said, I just probably never going to want to play this again. Um, but then it was funny because the reason I got back in was the owner of my company um, at that, still the owner of my company, been in the same company for 10 years, but his daughter was a uh, professional poker player. Uh, Sam Cohen and we just had a kind of brief conversation and I started talking to him about kind of the same story that I provided you know in terms of when I used to play during the early 2000s and um, every single year he and his daughter go out to Vegas for the World Series of Poker and they play in a couple of tournaments uh, sometimes playing the main event but he invited me out to go play in one of the uh, one of the World Series of Poker events and uh you know you're not going to turn down a uh, free trip to Vegas playing tournament right so uh jumped on that i'm pretty sure this was 2017 and played in the um one of the um one of the uh, no limit hold'em events and i soon realized and I, I remember on the plane there i'm reading my uh harrington on hold'em tournament book which was published 13 years ago or something like that and I just remember like the game had completely changed. Like I just, it, it was so foreign to me. And I was like, holy shit, like I don't, this is not the same game I used to play. And that just kind of fueled me to, to, to figure out how to get better at it. Um, and I, I, I was lucky enough. So we, it was during, during the dinner break of the first day. And I guess there's like this Thai restaurant that a lot of the pros go to, can't remember the name of it. Really good Thai restaurant next to near the Rio, about five, 10 minutes away. And we uh, grabbed dinner there, and Sam knew a couple of the pros, and we're sitting down, and I'm having dinner with you know some legit poker tournament pros, you know some obviously fortunate to 
kind of picked their brain. I remember asking questions like, how do I get better at poker? And I remember that it was suggested that I uh, joined the, um, what's called Upswing Poker, Doug Polk's uh, company. And there's another one, um, blanking on the name, with the guy, Ben CB, it's his company. Raise your edge. Raise your edge, there you go. And so I, uh, I basically then started doing a bunch of research. And I remember I joined Upswing Poker, joined a couple other things, paid some money, and I just been since then 17 started to spend a lot of time studying, reading, and learning about poker. Uh, I shouldn't say learning. I really, really wasn't learning, but I was reading a lot of content, you know, and I, I was at least understanding some of the basics from some of the content out there. Um, but I never, you know, and then I, I was playing, I was dabbling online, but I was losing. I was getting crushed in cash games and I would play NTTs and, you know, it really wasn't um, for me because uh, I got married in 2015, had my first daughter in 2016. So I got reintroduced to poker after getting married and having a kid. So didn't have a lot of free time. So I kind of knew that NTTs weren't realistic for me because I didn't have a lot of time and cash was, you know, something I wanted to improve on. And that led me to uh, poker coaching. And of all the of all the sites, I kind of felt like I had the best connection with the content of poker coaching. And, you know, I was, you know, basically engulfing all the content within poker coaching. But a lot of that was specific to tournament play, which I know a lot of the villagers have talked to as well. And um, I was very thirsty for uh, a better understanding how to play cash games. And then I remember, you know, there was this uh, new coach on poker coaching and, uh, you know, Brad, that was you, Brad, and you had a webinar on, um, on how, how, to, how to break down the game based on initiative and, and the different archetypes. And that just resonated with me. And, and I felt it was like- a language, language webinar, I think, that one. Yeah, the very first, I think it was the first one you had on poker coaching. And it, it resonated to me because I guess the way my mind worked, it broke down the way you could approach the game in a game in a in a in a theory, in a theoretical way that wasn't was very simplified and didn't have all these different terms and, and theories and concepts that I've been reading for the last couple of years. Um and then that's when I kind of learned that the way you broke down poker was kind of suited for what I was trying to, to accomplish. And um, and then I saw someone that had taken your uh, preflop bootcamp course that I uh, was friends with on Twitter and it spoke really highly of it. And that's when I, um, I think it was probably a year ago. Uh, I feel like I took it in December and that's when I jumped into preflop bootcamp. And, uh, you know, from 2017 to 2020, you know, it was a lot of time watching YouTube videos, a lot of time reading, playing, but I did not understand how to get better at poker until that point. And then I think that's kind of where where the real excitement uh, came into the potential playing poker and playing cards and and making money playing it while having fun. I think before the thrill of playing poker was just you know, getting the competitive juices flowing and trying to beat beat your opponent, but realistically speaking, never thought of it more of a hobby than a means of income. Where now I'm excited as to create this this hobby into a means of in, a means of income, you know, based on all the tools and you know things I learned over the last year.
Yeah, and I, I guess it probably has been about a year ago because that sort of aligns with when I started at poker coaching. I believe I started like last October of 2020. So been there for 14 months making uh, content, doing monthly webinars and stuff like that. In this past year, you know, as we talked about before, you you have bought all the courses, I believe, right? You're you're in yeah. all of them. Um, what's the next step on your horizon as it relates to poker? And which of the courses resonates with you the most? I mean, to answer the last question, I would every single course to me is a game changer. Um, preflop bootcamp is, is, is definitely the foundation. You know, I think without preflop bootcamp, it, it's hard to, to become uh, very competent in poker, at least from, from where I was coming from. The other courses help you attack post-flop play. Um, and the one thing that I kind of didn't realize, and it's very simple, like you make more money against fish than you do against regular players. And CPG courses help you. They give you that kind of framework to play against fish and making positive EV decisions. And you learn that fish are very instinctual. So, like, I, I guess I do have quasi of an analytical mind, mind mindset. So, like, trying to figure out what decisions that the fish are going to make based on game theory or analytics is, you know, a waste of time, right? Um, using, you know, your courses, which is based on metadata. So, you know, the tendencies of a population, I think that's really what has helped, um, you know, navigate the, uh, the cash game streets because there, there's, you just want to take advantage of those fish. Um, but where, where am I trying to take poker? You know, I, I think poker is going to be a game I'm going to honestly play for the, you know, for the rest of my life, as long as I can, as I have, you know, as long as I have those cognitive, uh, the cognitive ability, eventually I'm going to retire from the job that I have. And fortunate enough, I'm not going to have to work till 65, hopefully knock on wood. Um, but what I'm trying to do is play part-time and then, you know, hopefully when I get old enough to play full-time, you know, based on, um, saving up money for retirement. But right now I'm playing, um, my ultimate my ultimate goal is to be become a regular playing 200 nl right now while my kids are young just because i feel like you know with, with a job a full-time job and you know honoring the commitment as a father and husband i just don't have a lot of time throughout the week but i've um, been playing 100 nl for like the last five six months and you know hopefully here soon to make the jump to 200 nl um ultimate ultimate goal is to be able to get to play cash or online 1k but i know i have um you know more steps to take but that's that's kind of a short-term goal yeah um, 1k is an uphill battle too just because of your other life responsibilities you know that's the, yeah. it's yeah. really hard to find enough hours in the week to invest to uh, a build your role to the to where it needs to be to sustain at that limit and then also um you know, improve your win rate enough so that you don't just torture roll <laughs> once you, yeah. once you do get up there, are you winning now at hundred NL? Like how, how is the, how, how have the results been over the last you know year? Yeah. So, um, I, my, my computer crashed and I lost, I lost six months of data, which is actually probably a good thing <laughs> because I was still learning how to become better. But you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm winning at hundred NL. Um, it's over, 8,000 hands. I'm around uh, 14 big blinds per 100. 
So just kind of building, trying to build up uh, on top of that. Yeah. AK hands, small sample size. Yeah, it's pretty um, small. Still pretty small, but yeah, man, it's, uh, again, you got things going on in your life. You, you can't just sit and grind 20,000 hands a month. Like, like my wolves are doing, you know? Yeah. It's tough. Like I had my third kid, um, she was born in July, you know, so having three kids under five, like I was, I was playing, I was trying to play between five and a thousand hands a week trying to, but I'm, I'm more so around a hundred to 200 now, but there was a good couple of months where I just, I didn't play much at all. I just, or how strapped it was with time and you know not getting any sleep you're not getting any sleep you don't play very good poker you know yeah don't do a lot of things very well um three kids though you, you brought this on yourself you know you you decided oh, it's to... self-inflicted it's, it's <laughs> definitely self-inflicted you know um but they say you know you have kids they'll take care of you when you get older so um hopefully when i'm older and I'm losing a poker. I can rely on my kids to <laughs> subsidize subsidize your your life experience. Yeah, that's my master plan. You know? <laughs> Best of luck. Do a really good job of parenting. Um, I think that probably ties into their want and ability to take care of their parents. Later, farther down the road, how good of a parent we are today. Yeah, yeah. Another thing too, unfortunate enough to where like in the D.C. area, we have we have. A lot of casinos now that are opening up like there's a really good poker room uh, you know 40 there's two of them 40 minutes from my house so you know as the kids get older we playing live poker there um at the mgm or casino live so there's definitely outlets to play and um you know live poker online poker is more challenging than live poker in my opinion but i think when you master not master when you become confident in online poker Live poker to me is, is a lot easier. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's kind of my, my, my goal too, is to start to play more live poker and kind of taking advantage of the skills I've learned playing online. Cool, man. Sounds like a good goal. And it's been great having you here for this year, battling against you in fantasy football, just having you be a member of the village, member of the tribe. I'm excited for yeah the future and yeah, I think uh, I think on this point, you know, we'll close. Any last words before we shut down? Uh, no last. Well, I, I would just say, you know, anyone who is on the fence, um, just a quick plug, just because I believe in it. But anyone's on the fence with any of the CPG courses, I, I haven't regretted any any purchase. And you know, just from the uh, last last twelve months, you know, all that investment is starting to pay dividends, just as far as my poker win rate. So if you're on the fence. I would definitely recommend you guys uh, make the purchase. I, I don't think you're going to have any regrets. I appreciate the plug, man. And uh, best okay. of luck. I'll see you around the village. All right. Thanks for the time, Brad. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.